All right, who's eating chips? No, I think it's an apple. Actually, mm-hmm. it's a peach. Uh, it's the per- first peach of the year. It's a crunchy peach. Yeah, it doesn't seem very uh, it, ripe. It's a, it's a first fruit. It's a first fruit. No, it's, it's not ripe. <laughs> this is the peach season. Just started. Yeah. I was at the Shook today. Sounds like you got to market. Okay. I like no, no, that's not ripe. That's definitely not ripe. No, that's not ripe at all. You got to put that it's back in the ground. Perfectly ripe. The tree. No, no, you put it back be- on the tree. Yeah. <laughs> Hook it back up. It's supposed to taste. It's supposed to be like here. What? <laughs> It'd be soft and juicy. What are you talking about? Listening to Truth to You Radio, that's truth number two, letter you.org. I'm Jono, and good day to Crystal, who commented saying, I love this program. And wherever you may be around the world, it is good to have your company. It is time for Pearls from the Torah Portion with Keith Johnson and Nehemia Gordon. Good day, gentlemen. Good day. Good day, Jono. Great to be over here at Israel. And I want to do a shout out to all of my our friends who are listening over in China. I actually spoke last night to a group of Chinese folks who have come, came over here to visit, and uh, they taught me a few words of Chinese. So I, I want to share with the people. The full extent of my knowledge of the Chinese language. Go on. If I may. Daigaho. 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 Gordon. Gong Tan Wa. And that's about all I know. That's awesome. That <laughs> sounds nice. very that's authentic. Learning. What does it mean? I've heard, it means, uh, hello, my name is Nehemia Gordon. I speak a little, a very little bit of Chinese, or actually Cantonese. Excellent. Oh, and, and I'm excited because Keith and I are going to be going and speaking over in China, Woo! and um, and we're 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 almost locking down the dates. We're uh, we're still you know we're in the final negotiations about what those dates are going to be, mm-hmm. but it looks like it's going to be sometime in the fall. So I'm really excited about that. We're going to be uh, flying over there and speaking in in uh, uh, you know at least four places and possibly even more than that. So well, that's exciting. brilliant. That's brilliant because I know that uh, that a prayer to our father has been translated into Chinese. Is that in- Do you think it has? You think it hasn't? Because it has. Come on, Keith. Tell us about <laughs> it. Well, so, so I went to speak to these guys last night, and one guy says to me, you know, I left my copy of A Prayer to Our Father in Chinese back in China. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> the people have this book. <laughs> They've got the book. You know what? It's, it's amazing. And, and a shout out to all the people in different countries and different languages. But it's always exciting, Jonah, when you when you actually, at least for me, I, I've always been excited about doing anything that's international. And like this, this show, this program right here is mm. international. Nehemia is in Jerusalem. I'm in the United States. You're in, you're in Australia. Yeah. I mean, the things that we're doing that way, I think, are in line with what um, also the idea of just being a light to the nations is. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's why this is so exciting for me. I mean, Nehemia was over there. I mean, he was he was on fire. I mean, they, they asked him if he was a charismatic. I'm being honest with you. <laughs> Chinese people. Want to know. Like, what, what is all this? Charismatic. <laughs> no, I shouted, and I'll tell you why I shouted because I was telling them about. Um, you know about about you know some of our testimony and some of the things that have happened, and then I stopped and I said, "How do you say the name of?" I was telling about the Lord's Prayer in, in Hebrew, the you know the prayer um, that Yeshua taught on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a prayer that even though I'm a Jew, it's a prayer that that I could actually pray because mm-hmm. it's actually a prayer that's perfectly good prayer for Jews, um, and and it's ironic, it's the it's like the quintessential Christian prayer, but it's a prayer that Jews are comfortable with, mm. uh, content wise. And so, I, and talks about hallowed be thy name, which in Hebrew is may your name be sanctified. And I said, you know, what do you call the name? How do you pronounce the name of the father of our father in heaven uh, over in China? And they said, Yehoah. <laughs> and I shouted, I'm like, Woo! 
when I did my dance. I got so excited. I'm like, you people are working with me. Yeah. Okay, my work is done here. You know, they they already have got that message. That's exciting. And and they were actually surprised to hear they didn't know that Jewish tradition forbids us from speaking the name. They had no idea. They'd never heard that. Oh, and, uh, you know, so it was kind of refreshing to speak to people where I tell them, you know, we're supposed to sanctify the name of our Heavenly Father. And they said, yeah, of course we are, as opposed to what? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that was exciting. That, that, now, they, now they asked they asked me an interesting question that, that I, I can, can I share about this, Keith, oh, or, sh- or should I? No, you can't. No. All right, so let's go on. Let's start the program. <laughs> this is my favorite Torah portion. Let's do it. No, so they asked me an interesting question, which was, um, you know, because I, I was talking about the Hebrew version of the Gospel of Matthew, and one of the men stood up afterwards, and he said, okay, so you, you've been talking about what Jesus taught in the Gospel of Matthew. Mm-hmm. What about, or in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' claim to be the Messiah? What's your, you know, what's, what's your take on that? And I said to him, look, the Messiah I'm looking for, my con- my understanding of Messiah, my concept, is what I understand from the Hebrew Scriptures, which is someone who will reign as a flesh and blood king over Israel. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that's something that, that most Christians would agree with. Um, sure. And, uh, you know, and, and so, um, and the difference is that I guess Jews say we're waiting for him to come and Christians say we're waiting for him to come back. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is when, it, when he reigns as the flesh and blood king over Israel, whatever his name happens to be, we're going to accept him as the king because it'll be a fact. Uh, it won't just be a matter of faith. It'll be a fact. Um, and I really could have stopped there. But then I, then I, you know, I said, you know, one of the prayers that I pray is the prayer of King David. And, and what I was referring to is the prayer that we pray here on the program, the prayer of King David, where he mm. says, uh, uh, uncover my eyes that I may see the wonderful hidden things of your Torah. And I said to this man from China, I said, when I pray that prayer, I pray it with all sincerity. Now, if you think about the prayer, uncover my eyes that I may see the wonderful hidden things of your Torah. If you're going to pray that prayer with sincerity, mm. you've got to come before the creator with humility and say, Father of creation, I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. Whatever you uncover to me, whatever you reveal to me in your word, I will accept it. Amen. And I pray, and I do, and I explain to the man, I pray that prayer with sincerity. And, um, you know, and, and, and then I ask the people to pray that prayer with me. And, and what I mean by that is I don't go into it with these preconditions. Okay, God, if you reveal to me these certain things, I'll accept them. But these mm. other things, if you reveal to me, I'm going to throw those out the window because they don't fit my theology and my religious agenda. Mm-hmm. No, I say, creator, you know better than me. Amen. Uncover my eyes that I may see the wonderful hidden things of your Torah. And I asked the people from China to stand up with me and pray that prayer. And we all prayed that prayer together. And it was exciting. And um, and I know it's early in the program, but can we can we open up with the prayer that I prayed with the Chinese people? And, and last yeah. night in Jerusalem, in the holy city, the place where Yehovah chose to place his name, that prayer was prayed in three languages. Oh, it was prayed good. first in Hebrew, and then with an English translation, and then with a Chinese translation of the English translation. And actually, there was a fourth language, because it was the... It was the Cantonese translation of the English, and then there was a Mandarin translation of the Cantonese because there were six folks there for, who didn't speak Cantonese or didn't understand it, so it was translated to Mandarin. So Keith, four languages we Keith, prayed. They, they were speaking prayer. in tongues, Keith. There you go. No, we were speaking were. in literal tongues. To That's what I was trying to say. We were speaking in tongues. So let's, so pray. let's open with let's that. Pray this Yehovah Avinu Shabbat Shemaim, Galenenu Venabita Niflaot Mitoratecha, Yehovah, our Father in heaven. Uncover our eyes that we may see the wonderful hidden things of your Torah. Whatever those hidden things are, may our eyes open and see them and receive them. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. What an awesome way to start the show. And before we get really moving, I just I got a couple of comments that I want to read out. You guys ready? Here it is. Here it is. Can I say hello to everybody before we get started? Oh, fine. Can you say hello to everyone? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> this is from Angela. Keith, this is from Angela. Angela says, I have gotten 20 of the books, his hallowed name revealed again, and passed them out all over. We have even sent them into the, prison, uh, the prisons here in Oklahoma. There you go. That's Angela. Well done, Angela. Angela. Well done. There it is. And uh, Gabrielle. Gabrielle, Shalom, Nehemiah, Keith, and Jono. Question for you. Why do you skip or miss chapters when reading Torah? I've always been taught when reading Torah, always read every verse. Is this because it's a radio broadcast and not a Sabbath reading being held in a shul? Well, Gabrielle, (laughs) yes. (laughs) <laughs> That's really the reason why. Oh well, look, you know, Keith is always saying, "Come on, Johnny, you got to read every single verse." You, you, Nehemiah says, "And you got to read it in Hebrew." But we can't. We really, we don't have the time. We don't have the time. To and do look, it. this. I, I think this. I think he, both you guys would agree. This isn't intended to replace a reading of, of the of the Torah portion. Mm. What this is intended to do is is to, to supply a, you know some understanding and explanations, mm-hmm. and it's not intended to be the final word. I mean, there's lots of things that I want to share every week. That there just isn't time to do, and as it is, we end up speaking for like an hour and a half, two hours, sure. and um, you know, and 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 so really, we're we're kind of relying on people to, um, you know, we're not we're not trying to do the thinking for you. You read the Torah portion yourself, and then come and listen to this program. Mm-hmm. Amen. I want to say something about that too. I think that one of the things that I I like about the program is that, and especially when we get into some of these portions that are that are that are very long, you know, there are some people who you know are listening to this with their children. Uh, there's some people that you know have different 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 reasons and, and ways that they do it, and I think we're trying to to give them something that's uh, palatable. But one of the things that we can't we we don't want to do, and I like what Nehemiah said, we don't want to think for them. But more than that, I just think this idea of um, it's like the Bereans who search the scriptures daily to see mm-hmm. if what uh, Jono said was true. Uh, <laughs> the point being the idea that, that we really I'm hoping that we spur Wait, that's people not what on. It says. <laughs> <laughs> The Bereans were a more noble character. <laughs> they searched the scriptures every day to, to, to see if what Paul said was true. Okay, that's what it says, but I say Jono. But my point is that the idea is that I really want people to I, – I know that all of us really want people to search the scriptures and, and to have their eyes uncovered. I Amen. Mean, like, you know, we, and in fact, if, we, in fact if, if she could just – if we could get someone that would comment and say, I, I love the Torah portions. I wish that Jono wouldn't read every single verse. <laughs> <laughs> This one is from, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this one's oh, from Grover. Grover says, I love this website. I listen to every show. I clean houses for a living, so I just download the shows and I listen on my MP3 player while I work, and I love it. And don't let anyone criticize your jokes or laughter. It brightens my day, and I need that. It's only a problem. Come on with that, Grover. <laughs> Grover says, it's only a problem if someone is, a, is, is home when I'm cleaning and I burst out laughing and there's no apparent reason. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, yeah, good on you, is. Grover. Thank you for listening. Today, Come on, Grover. Good on you, Grover. We are in Shalach, right? Numbers 13, verse 1 to 15, 41. And it begins like this. You ready? It says, And Yehovah spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone, a leader among them. So Moses sends them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the commandment of Yehovah, all of the men who were heads of the children of Israel, now these are their names. All right, I'm going to get you to do this. Nehemiah, their names. And these are the names: Lemater Uven Shemua Ben Zakur, Lemater Shimon Shafat Ben Chori, Lemater Kalev, excuse me, Lemater Yehuda Kalev Ben Yifune, Lemater Yisachar Gal Ben Yosef, Lemater Ephraim Hoshea Ben Nun, Lemater Ben Yamin Palti Ben Rafu, 
למטה זבולון גדיאל בן סודי, למטה יוסף, למטה מנשה גדי בן סוסי, למטה דן עמיאל בן גמלי, למטה אשר סטור בן מיכאל, למטה נפתלי נחבי בן ופסי, And those are the names. There it is. Now go back, to, go back to verse 8. Give me verse 8 verse again. Eight. Okay. Before we do verse 8, can we do verse 6? Let's do verse 6. So what I love uh-huh. is the opening of this section in verse 3 where it says, um, they were all, it says literally in Hebrew, they were all men. And, and the implication is there, these aren't just men, they're men in the old-fashioned sense of the words. And it says, heads of the sons of Israel they are. They are heads of the sons of Israel. Mm-hmm. So these aren't just, you know, some poor guys that, you know, they, they pulled off the, you know, pulled out of the tent um, in the desert. These are the heads of the people. They're not the princes. We heard about those in, in an earlier Torah portion. Mm-hmm. But they are leaders of their people. And they're known for their valor. And one of them in verse 6 is uh, for the tribe of Judah is Kalev, the son of Yefuneh. And I think we talked about this um, in an earlier portion, but I just got to revisit it because mm. here's where, where we're being referred to really uh, in this role for the first time for Kalev, which is that he is he's the representative for the tribe of Judah. And what I find interesting about him is that he's actually not a physical Israelite. And we learn about that over in, um, let's see, it's over in uh, Numbers chapter 32, verse 12 where it actually refers back to this story, and it refers to Kaleb, the son of Yefuneh, the Kenizzite. Now, what on earth is a Kenizzite? Hmm. And he's also, Joshua 14.6 also refers to him as a Kenizzite, and then 14, Joshua 14.14. 14. So three times it's referred to as a Kenizzite. Well, the Kenizzites, you can find them over in Genesis 15, verse 9, 19, where it lists 10 different tribes that lived in the land of Canaan at the time of Abraham. Hmm. And one of them were the, was the Kenizzites. And so apparently these were Gentiles. These were uh, heathens that were at some point ended up in Egypt and they came out as that mixed multitude as mm-hmm. part of the mixed multitude. They were probably enslaved in Egypt and uh, they came out and they were part of the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai with the mixed multitude mm-hmm. and, and all of Israel. And now one of them is being chosen as a head of his people, as a man, a head of his people of the tribe of Judah. And that is this Kaleb, the son of Yefune. Mm. And I think it's, I think it's, it's telling that he's one of the two people who remains faithful to Yehovah and trust in Yehovah when uh, ten of the other people uh, go astray and, and you know really um, speak mm-hmm. negatively about yeah. Yehovah's blessing. We're going to be getting mm-hmm. to that, Keith Hoshea. And then, uh, well, this you know this is this is fun for me because when we get to uh, this this verse, it's one of those things I, I always I always look at the Hebrew Bible as like this um like this uh, it's like a treasure map or something you know if you go down the you know, it'll have one one line to another line to another line, one dot to another dot to another dot, and this is just one great example. of This book numbers that many people, well, from my tradition, would say, okay, we don't need to get into all that with these names, but what Nehemiah just shared is is an example of where if you follow the if you follow the the treasure chest, mm-hmm. you'll get to the you know to the map where you get to the gold, mm. and that same thing happens there in verse um, with eight when it says from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. And then what I love about verse 8 is it leads me to go to the next little dot, the mile marker, which is verse 16, Amen. which we're going to get to. And he says, these are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. And then this wonderful little parenthesis in my English Bible um, that doesn't exist in my Hebrew Bible, but it, but it basically says that Moses gave this person, Hosea, uh, a new name. And the reason that it gets exciting for me, and I actually did a, a section in the back of the book, His Hallowed Name Revealed Again, mm-hmm. the bonus section on the name Jesus, because... Uh, I had some people when I was having this book read, people from different traditions. There were some people who said, "Look, don't have that section in the book," and uh, because in the, you know here you're talking about the name of the Father 
And in the back of the book, you've got this bonus section on what about the name Jesus? And some people are like, I don't want to read about the name Jesus. Well, that's, that's, a, that's supposed to be that way so that people will open it. And actually, I've had testimony of people, Jono, who actually won't read, wouldn't read the book until they read the last section. <laughs> and after reading the last, no, true story. Uh, one of the guys that helped edit it, his daughter, she, she didn't want to read the book because she saw these Hebrew letters. Mm-hmm. She, went to the, she went to the bonus section and her, said, what about the name Jesus? She read that, which was an introduction for her to say, I guess I want to understand about this name. Well, why is this she important? Started, she started in the back of the she book. She started here. in the back of the book. There you go. Um, but, but the reason that's so important Typical is because Christian. Most of the, <laughs> I didn't say she was a Christian. How did you know if she was a Christian or not? What are you talking about? She starts in the <laughs> back of the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, here's what's exciting about this, not to take too much time, but verse, verse 16. Uh, and what's most exciting about it is that Moses, the one who heard the name Yehovah, or heard the name of our father, he decided to give uh, um, a, a name to someone else. And this man we call Joshua in English, or Jesus, if we were to do a little bit of further searching in the New Testament, that's another discussion. But the point wait, 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 is... i, I got to stop you there. Are you saying that no, you Joshua can't. and Jesus no, no, is no, the same no. person? What are you <laughs> no, saying? No, no, no. <laughs> if you, listen, I, I don't want to give it all Jesus away. Jesus like 4,000 years old you know, in the New Testament? What are you talking about? you got to explain to the people what you're talking about. No, 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 no just a second now. Let me, let me, do, let me just do this, this treasure map because the, the, the map says if I start here in Numbers, I find out there's this man named Hosea. Mm-hmm. If I go a few verses later, I find out that Moses looks at him and says, you know what? For what I think you're going to do, you're going to need a new name. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do something really, really radical. I'm going to take up, just bear with me now, I'm going to take a part of the father's name and I'm going to put that at the front of your name. And I'm going to make your name mean that our father in heaven is the one who saves. Mm. Wait, that's a treasure map because the map says, wait a minute, so you're telling me Moses, the one who heard the name, who was supposed to bring the name and explain the people when they said, what is his name? This is his name. He looks at this man named Hoshea and he says, you know what? I think I'm going to call you something else. And he takes the first two syllables, Yeho, and then he takes the meaning of the word Shua, which is to save, and he says, the one who's going to save is our father, Yehovah, who will save. That's why we get this name, so that in the New Testament, by the time we get to the New Testament, uh, some, of the, some of the translators got a little nervous, and they said, now, wait a minute. Uh, we know that his name is Jesus, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I'll, Nehemiah would love to be to go through the whole thing. I don't want to go through the whole thing, but let me just give you the money ball. Mm. The money ball is this. When they, when they spoke the name Jesus in those days, they would have understood that name to be connected to this very name that we're looking at here in Numbers. And what's the connection? There's only one who saves, and it's our Father, Yehovah. Amen. So to carry that name means that the salvation, the deliverance, the help is going to come from heaven. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it's such a powerful uh, chapter, and that's why I'm glad it's in the book, because it gives people a chance to go through the linguistic uh, treasure hunt to find the gold, and the gold really will make you shout. Even for my Jewish brothers and sisters who knew more, who know about, more about the linguistic um, uh, basis of the name Jesus than many Christians. Mm-hmm. So it's, pretty, it's a pretty cool thing, and I suggest and hope people will at least look at that. Well, let me just say that uh, it is the bonus chapter in the book, His Hallowed Name Revealed Again. It's well worth getting, in the, and, and that particular chapter is fascinating. And we do go into some detail, Keith. Uh, I, I don't even know how long it was. It a couple of years ago. I don't know. Um, yeah. On the program, when we talked even about that, that bonus chapter, maybe I'll put a link to that um, below this post. So it goes on to say now that, that now that you guys are done with your commercial, <laughs> can we talk a little <laughs> about what? Let's let's you know. Let's what does it mean, Hoshea? What does it mean? So Hoshea is a Hebrew name 
from the root yud shin ayin yasha, and Hoshea means he saved. Mm. But it's not. It's a very vague name. He saved. Well, who saved? So Moses says, "This is my right hand man." We've got to be more specific with his name, and and he calls he saved Yehoshua, which means Yehovah saved Yehovah Yoshia, and uh, and the connection that that then Keith is making to Jesus, where that where that comes in is that Yehoshua. In, is a name that continued to be used. I have a cousin named Yehoshua, but in Second Temple times, the nickname for Yehoshua, the common way of referring to somebody named Yehoshua, was to call him Yeshua. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, in uh, Nehemiah, I believe it's chapter eight, verse eight, it mentions Yeshua, the son of Nun. And in many English translations, it translates that correctly as Jesus, the son of Nun, because Jesus is simply through a series of steps. Um, goes back to the name Joshua, Yehoshua, mm-hmm. through the Second Temple pronunciation Yeshua. So Yeshua is simply an, uh, a shortened form of, Ye- of Yehoshua, which means Yehovah saves. And the first person that we know to be called this is Moses' um, disciple, Joshua, mm-hmm. who's one of the two people who remain faithful um, you know, during this period. And, and I Amen. think his name is important here because, th- because as we read the story, we hear... You know, there really is no dispute about how wonderful and amazing a land, the land of Canaan, is. The dispute comes in when the ten spies say, "Well, you know, it's such a great land. We'll never be able to wrest this from the hands of the of the bad guys, of the of the of the you know the giants who live mm. there." And Caleb and Joshua, they preach the message: Yehoshua, Yehovah saves. Mm-hmm. Trust in Yehovah, and we got nothing to worry about. What you're saying is a curse is actually Jehovah's blessing. He's giving you a wealthy land, a great and, and uh, luscious land that's going to sustain us. So that shouldn't be a curse. That should be a blessing as long as you trust in Jehovah. Mm. Amen. And so they did. They, they, uh, they went and they spied out their land and they, they went to see what the inhabitants were like, what the cities were like, what the fruit was like. Uh, they found a massive cluster of grapes. They decided to bring that back. And so they called it, it was called the Valley of Eshkol. How, what, what's, what, what does that mean, Nehemiah? Eshkol means cluster, and a cluster mm-hmm. of grapes, mm-hmm. and it was called that because they brought back a big cluster. And uh, and so because it says now now is the time the seasons of the first ripe grapes. Now is that where you are at the moment, Nehemiah? I mean, you were just munching on a peach before. Is that is that right? About yeah, this no, time we're at, we're not at grapes yet, but it will be coming in a couple of months. All the, right, over the, mm-hmm. actually, by the time this is broadcast, it'll probably be out. Nice, because um, we record pre-recording it. But yeah, so it's sometime over the summer. There it is, and they one return. thing I want to say, uh, hey. Jonah. One of the things that was that's, and actually, I was, <laughs> I was uh, another commercial. I, I was actually looking at some video of hmm. uh, of um, of when I was in Israel, not just less than a couple months ago. And one of the really, 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 really cool videos that I happen to have hmm. is this 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 beautiful area where the where the grapes are grown, and it's like this like lush, amazing. I mean, it's like it, it, I mean, it just it's it's breathtaking, you know, to 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 sit and look at it. And I think I think about looking through the eyes of the spies, you know, when they got uh, to the land, and 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 again, the idea being, wow, look at this amazing mm. fruit that's here. Look at this. Am- I mean, this is amazing. Now, uh, what do I have to do to get it? Uh, not sure. <laughs> not sure. I want to go through all that, but I mean, it is amazing to actually look and to see um, see what they saw. I mean, that's what's so beautiful about Israel is to actually be there, looking through the eyes of the people that we're reading about right now. It's, it's just amazing. Mm. And so the, their eyes of the spies did return, and they uh, they said to Moses and Aaron, uh, this is verse 27, we went to the land where you said, uh, sent us, and it truly flows with milk and honey, and look, this mm-hmm. is its fruit. Uh, Nevertheless, the people who dwell there are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the de- descendants of Anach, 
Now, Anak. Mm. Anak means giant. So there it we is. saw the descendants of the giant. They were there in the and, Amalekites. And, and, and you have to understand, so so we read earlier in verse 24, verse 23 and 24, that they come to this uh, um, uh, valley of Eshkol, and, the, and they're bringing, um, it describes here, that they bring this cluster of grapes that's being carried, carried on a pole between two people. Mm. And, and you think about that, well, a cluster of grapes, I'll stick that in my bag. Like, why do I need two people to carry it? Mm. This must have been a really big cluster of grapes. And that's actually, uh, uh, interestingly, become the symbol of Israeli tourism. And, and that's actually mm-hmm. a modern Hebrew play on words. The ancient Hebrew word tour actually means to spy. Oh, that's so cool. these people went on a tour in ancient Hebrew. That's what it says mm. Mm. Um, in this chapter. That's brilliant. And so in modern Hebrew, the word tour uh, obviously means to tour from mm. Indo-European languages. But they, they take it with a dual meaning. It's a tour as in uh, you know seeing the land, but also the symbol has become two men carrying a giant cluster of grapes mm-hmm. on a pole between two uh, you know on a pole but you know over their shoulders, yeah. and it's so big it, it requires two men. So that gives you an idea of how big that cluster of grapes was, and I think that probably connects to this idea of, of the giant. They're seeing giant fruit mm. and giant men and giant cities. And they're thinking we're a bunch of escaped slaves. <laughs> we got no chance here. We exactly. We, we don't. We don't have the equipment to carry on a siege, uh, even of a small city, mm-hmm. let alone of these massive walls that mm-hmm. you know have been uncovered by archaeologists, which really are big walls mm. on any you know any ancient um, um, you know um, uh, you know on ancient sta- by ancient standards they were big walls. Mm. Uh, and in Egypt they didn't really have walls like that. You know, Egypt uh, never really experienced sieges like that in in that period. Um, you know, and what they built with was mud uh, in Egypt and in Mesopotamia. But in Israel they built a stone. So they're seeing these massive stone walls and they're like, well nothing's going to be able to break through that. Mm. You know, and there's giants behind them and look at the size of their fruit. We, we just got no chance here. That's what they're saying. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south and the Hittites and the Jezebites and the Amorites dwell in the, the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. And then Caleb, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, "Let us go up and take it. it will take its possession. We will be able to. We'll be able to overcome it." But the men, but we got we, we got to stop here. Mm. So so there's a couple things here to, to look at, which is first of all, um, you know, God says starts out way back and says, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen. And they come back and they say, yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. There's people who live there. We'll never get it from them. And because it's such a, a wealthy land, such a, uh, so much milk and honey, that's the very reason we'll never get it. And then when they start listing the inhabitants, who do they open up with in verse 29? The Amalekites. Mm-hmm. And the people remembered the Amalekites. They, were, they, they didn't forget. It had only been uh, a little over a year since they had been attacked by, they had just come out of Egypt, fresh out of Egypt, and the Amalekites attack them while they're still weak uh, from the journey. And they remember that. And they're like, oh, man, the Amalekites. <laughs> Forget this. Mm. We, we can't go through that again. You know, that's just, not, just, not, not just some name. That was something that was you know, deeply ingrained, the, um, that, that, uh, a bitter memory of fighting the Amalekites. Mm. And, uh, and I think that's why they opened up with the Amalekites. Because the Amalekites and the Negev, like, that's the least of your worries. They don't even have fortified cities. That, I mean, you know, how hard, that, how hard is that going to be to mm-hmm. conquer them? Um, but he opens up with them because people remembered. And and then Caleb is saying, yeah, okay, everything they're saying is true. I'm not disputing the facts. There's, you know, there's great large people there, and that's because they've got, a, you know, because the land is flowing with milk and honey, and it sustains such a great people. Mm-hmm. But Jehovah is going to, with Jehovah's help, we can do this. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. But Keith, the, the next verse, it starts with Bud. The, but the men who had gone up with <laughs> yeah. them said, we're not able to, to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. That, I, when I look at this, when I look at this verse, when I look at the verse that's before and the verse that's after, I get this really amazing picture. And the picture is this. Now, and now Caleb doesn't say, unless, it's, unless it says something else different. Uh, Nehemiah, you can check the Hebrew Jonah. I'd like to hear what the New King James says. It says, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, now it says here, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Now, Nehemiah, is there anything in verse 30 that refers to Yehovah? Not in verse 30, but I, I've read the entire section, so... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So the reason, why this is, the reason why this is exciting when I read this, when I read the verse, so Caleb makes this statement. He's, yep. dealing, with, he's dealing with the practicality. He's saying we can do it. The next verse says, in verse 31, but the men who had gone up with them says, we can't. Mm-hmm. So the picture that I get is sort of this uh, bottom up or, or down or, or from top down view. So the men have a what's called a, a bottom up view. We're just grasshoppers. We're looking up at the giants. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caleb has a, a top down view. He knows how big Yehovah is, and he's saying those guys are grasshoppers to him. Excellent. So way it's to put like, it. yep. You know, yep. it's like so. Verse oh, thirty ends up be thir- verse thirty is the top down view, yep. and verse thirty one is the bottom up. But the, what I reason I wanted to stop here is because I think there are people that are listening, and I, this is just something for me that that I think a lot about is that is that most of the things that I've experienced in my life have have been um, awesome in terms of what you want to be able to do, but I haven't found many of those things to be able to happen without a little challenge or a really big challenge. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and, it's like, and it's like this idea that, oh, here's these huge grapes, here's this amazing milk and here's honey, but there's going to be something you're going to have to go through. And, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, so many people miss uh, the, 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 the fruit because they don't want to go through the labor, especially if the labor looks like it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So what do we want to do? We want to learn to be like Caleb that says, okay, how does God see this? Amen. <laughs> you, think he, you think he really looks at it and says, oh, the size of those Amalekites? Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? You know, it's, and this is going to be a little of a diversion, but it's, it's like this, this unfortunate um, view that we have in the church that, you know, God looks at what happens with, quote, unquote, the devil and says, oh, it's the devil. What am I going to do? He's, he's too bad and too evil. <laughs> do you understand that there's no competition here? When you're, when you, when, Amen. When you, when, in other words, when you're looking at Yehovah, you're looking at Yehovah as the creator mm-hmm. of everything. Mm-hmm. He's the big one. He's the Amen. one that makes every. So for me, this is a, a really powerful parallel between these two verses. Amen. Grand. Mm-hmm. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the oh. land which they had spied out, saying, The land uh, through which we had gone as spies, the land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. And uh, we saw the giants, the, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and we were, and, and, and so we were in their sight. And, I, oh, I got to stop. Uh, man, that's profound. It literally says, And we were in our eyes as grasshoppers. And so we were in their eyes, mm. and that that is profound. Uh, and 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 I th- and I think the first statement is definitely true, and that was the real problem. That they looked at these big people and they said, "We're, we're like these little grasshoppers," and uh, you know, we we got you know they'll step on us and crush us. Mm-hmm. And really, what they're expressing here is their own lack of self confidence and lack of confidence in in the Creator. And, um, you know, because they weren't, they, they may have been smaller than the other people, uh, but they weren't grasshoppers. And it, mm-hmm. was, it was really their own, their own um, I mean, this is the, what they call the self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, we can't defeat them. We're, we're so small. And, and what they should have done is trusted in Yehovah. And if they would have trusted in, in the creator, 
than they would have been as giants in their own eyes. Amen. No matter how big the enemy was. Amen. Amen. Now, 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 Jonah, this is one of the big. This is a big picture. So I want everyone to think big picture for a second. You know, you know, when we when we're going through the Torah, and and I, I always find these things, and I always get really, really excited. So, so this is one of these pearls for me. Um, so from the beginning of the Torah all the way through, there's there are these themes that you'll find. You know, uh, one theme, for example, one that we've talked a lot about is is the name. So. For example, you'll have uh, you know people attempting to uh, build up their own name, and so what does Yahovah do? The name, uh, the word in Hebrew is Shem, so he creates Shem, and from Shem he creates Abraham. Abraham comes from Shem, and he says, "And I shall make your Shem great." So that's a theme, mm-hmm. but this is a theme that's really, really cool because this theme is like the picture of you can go all the way back in the beginning of Bereshit, where someone will look with their eyes, and from what they see with their own eyes, they'll make a decision. So what did Eve do? It says she looked and it was she saw. You know, what does Lot do when he's with Abraham? Abraham picks one area and Lot looks and says, hey, that looks like a good place over there. Mm-hmm. He looks and he sees and he finds the place that ends up being Sodom and Gomorrah. And the list goes on where people will use their eyes. They will look. They will see and make a determination on what they see. Now, what's our prayer? Our prayer has always been open our eyes that we might see the wonderful Amen. things, the hidden things. So here you've got this situation where they're doing just like we see this theme. They've looked through their eyes, they've seen, and they've made their determination. Mm -hmm. But there's always a different perspective. And the perspective that we want to have is the perspective that we only get from him opening our eyes to see the dimensions, the big, the amazing, the wonderful, powerful uh, perspective that Yehovah has that Mm -hmm. makes these guys, again, like grasshoppers. So the eyes and looking, you'll see it all through Scripture. They saw it, they made a decision. They saw it, they made a decision. Mm-hmm. They looked up and they saw and they made a decision. So it's just one of those things that you can see jumps off the page. Mm, absolutely, Keith. Yeah. And, and yeah. yet it seems like the democratic process took place. It was 10 against 2. And so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people no! wept that night. <laughs> no! And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation, the whole congregation, Keith, said to them, Oh, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has Jehovah brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Oh, would it not have been better for us to Ooh. return? And so they said to one another, we, we got to stop there. Hang on. They said, to, let me just read this bit. They said to one another, let us select a leader and Uh-oh. return to Egypt. Nehemiah. Oh, my goodness. I know. So, so Keith, can you read from your translation, verse 3? Because sure. in your translation, Jonah, it makes no sense, and it's not what it says in the Hebrew. In other so words, in why? your translation, Jonah, I'm left wondering, why on earth do they want to die in the desert? Like, at least they've got a chance if they go and fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it says, so why is the Lord... Three? Why is the Lord bringing us to this this land only to let us fall by the sword? Uh, um, our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better there for it us is. to go our back? Our wives and our children will be plunder, or shall be spoils, it literally says in Hebrew. And that's what they were afraid of. You know, if they were going to die, what matter? What does it matter if they die in battle against the giants or they die in the desert or in mm-hmm. Egypt? But what they're afraid of is, wait a minute, not only are we going to die, but they're going to rape our women and children when they, when they capture them. And that's what they're really afraid of here. Mm. It becomes about, about that, protecting the women and the children. How about that NIV, guys? How about that? How about that? There, there it is. is. NIV got it. <laughs> no, NIV. Oh, my goodness. James, drop the ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and, that, and that's a key point because later on it becomes, okay, you were worried about the children. They're the ones who are going to go in the land and you're going to die here. You, you wanted to die, you're going to get your wish, but the children won't be spoils. They're the ones who are going to go into the land. 
That's another one of those themes that jumps off, but that's, yeah. And I mean, and you can understand it because of what they said. Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Oh, my goodness. Is it any, it's amazing. Because in Egypt will be slaves, but at least the wives and children won't be raped. Yeah, yeah. But even after but all, no, of, my goodness. Keith. No, Jono, I think, the, I think this point of them saying about saying, let's select a leader. I mean, isn't that also, I mean, I don't want to get too controversial, but isn't that kind of what ends up happening Um you know, with politics and 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 you know, we we find out what our agenda is, and then we find someone that'll help us, <laughs> that will lead us to our agenda. So first, here's what we want to do. Now let's find someone that will agree. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we say somebody that so say often. somebody say Republican. Somebody say Democrat. <laughs> somebody say. In other words, who who thinks this way in the party? Let's find someone that will do that for us. That's right. <laughs> so. Yeah. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Yephunah. Uh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through uh, to spy out is exceedingly good. It's, it's ex- an exceedingly good land. If Jehovah delights in us, then he will bring us into this land to, that, and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey, only do not rebel against Jehovah, nor fear the people of the land. Now, it says here, I've got, for they are our bread, it says. Their protection... Yeah, that's a- is that what they're our bread. They're our bread. Yeah, it literally says, Kilachmenuhim, they're our bread. And that's a great example of slang. This is, this is ancient Hebrew slang. Nice. This is be like if we said in American English, I don't know about Australia, but in American English, we'd say, we're going to eat them for breakfast. Right. You know, that, that, that's what it means. They're our bread. We're going we're gonna to chew these guys up and spit them out. Excellent. Their protection has departed from them, and Yehovah is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation, get this, Keith, all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Oh. My, my version, my version says this. It says, uh, <laughs> "It says, but the whole assembly talked about it." <laughs> so they, said they talked about stoning them. So in other words, while these guys are giving their speech, you know, I mean, it's like it's like we're on the radio here, you know, and uh, and uh, Jonah starts waxing on about something, and then Nehemiah and I are, 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 are on Skype, and we're we're typing, saying, "No, we we got to shut this guy up," we gotta, we, we, <laughs> you know, or, or or you know, you guys do the same for me. You know, the idea is, <laughs> I get this picture of <laughs> these two preaching. I mean, they're on fire. They're excited. They're shouting and the other two oh, and the, other, the rest of them are man. like no way let's, let's, let's get and then and then keith and then they get in trouble with dad and says the glory of jehovah appeared in the tabernacle uh-huh. meeting before oh, all the children of israel mm-hmm. i want to go i want to go back to verse nine to that slang where he says that for there are bread and then he says literally in hebrew for their shadow has turned away from them and that's another example of slang and there and what he's saying is the uh you know their shadow if you think about it a person standing up ha- drops a shadow and when he falls down he's got no shadow when he's dead cool. you, you know on the ground there's no shadow mm. so he's saying their shadow is already turned away from them mm. so so that's that's a, a figure of speech it's it's hebrew slang he's speaking in their language he's speaking to the people in, you know in 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 the using this 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 nice. image yeah. and um and he also uses something called prophetic past which in hebrew is where you say something in the past tense that hasn't really happened yet, but you're saying it's so sure it's going to happen that you refer yeah. to it in the past tense. Their shadow has already turned away from them, mm. uh, you know, and which wasn't really true. I mean, they're not dead yet. Mm. They're, they're, you know. <laughs> but, it's, but it's as good as done, <laughs> Which right? is the whole problem. Mm-hmm. It's as good as done is what he's basically saying. Yeah. 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 How about that? Mm-hmm. Then Jehovah said to Moses, how, now this is reminiscent of uh, just prior to the, uh, the, you know, the golden calf, isn't it really? And, Jehovah said to Moses, how long these people reject me and how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I performed among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. And then Moses intercedes again. Yes, he does. 
Mm. And you got to think to yourself, if you're Moses at this point, you know, I, I mean, I think there'd be some people like say, so uh, wh- what are you going to call my nation? <laughs> in other words, when he, when he comes <laughs> to me, he says, uh, like, uh, now, now, what is the name? What, what's the name of my nation? What kind of what kind of deal do we have here? Instead, Moses does this wonderful thing when he says, but no, the, the, the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. I'm sorry, Jonah, I'm reading. You do it so much better, seriously, as far as uh, the way that it uh, – like Read when you say – and they – no, no, like when you go like this, I thought to myself, man, we've got to get capture this lightning in a bottle when you said – and they yelled, and they screamed, and they shouted. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, Jonah, I'm telling you, you've got to do the dramatized version of the Bible. But, uh, but it says, and they've already heard that you, O Yehovah, O Lord, are with these people, and that you, O Yehovah – have been have been seen face to face mm. that your clothes your cloud stays over them and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night if you put these people to death all at one time <laughs> that's a little clause mm. the nations who have heard this report another can I just say something for a second now I want to go from a, the point of accountability here I want to be accountable I want Jono to read this verse and I want Nehemiah to read this verse in Hebrew yeah this is verse what 15 Moses right? says Okay, yeah. <laughs> so now if you kill these – this is what I've got, Keith. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying uh, – and on it goes in verse 16. Okay, so what does yours say? It says, uh, and you will kill um, or you will put to death this people like one man, uh, and the nations will say uh, – the nations who have heard your, your, your rumor uh, or the, the hearing of you – Okay. Yeah, the rumor, meaning the report. They've heard your report. Okay, okay. Uh, they will say, saying. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what, here's what the NIV does, and this is why as a good Methodist preacher, I would look at this and I would say, you know, Nehemiah said it was the prophetic past. I would say it's a foreshadowing statement. If I use my NIV, what it says is this. If you put these people to death, and then there's like a, there's like a little comma, all at one time. In other words, over 40 years, if you want to get rid of them, that's fine. But don't do it all. <laughs> <laughs> So I would get up on, on a Sunday morning if I preach this. I'd say, now, now, Moses is a prophet. He can see the future. He's telling Yehovah, listen, just take like 10% of them at a time. Just don't do it all at one time. But that's not what it says. So let's move that's on. That's not what it says. Because, yeah. can, I read, can I read verses 17 to 18? I, I love those verses. He says, and now, you know, in, in ancient Hebrew, uh, whenever you'll have a, a petition or a prayer, um, you know, you'll have a whole introduction, mm. um, but then it'll say, and now. And when it says, and now, that means it, this is the bottom line. Here's what I'm really asking. <laughs> mm. Up until now, it's just the introduction. And now, let the might of Yehovah uh, please be magnified. Or excuse me, excuse me let, it says, let the might of the Lord please be magnified. It actually says Lord in Hebrew. Um, as you spoke, saying, and then he quotes Exodus 34, 6 to 7. Where Yehovah appears to Moses and, he's, and, he, and he proclaims his name and his attributes. Remember, we talked about yes, that. Yes. These attributes that are quoted throughout the Bible, something like seven times, mm-hmm. I think. Hold on. Uh, quoted or And here Moses is directly quoting. What, what? You can't just drop that on the people like that. What are you doing? Yeah. That's, that's abusive. You can't, you can't say to the people, Jono, can I stop this guy for a second? We should turn the radio off. Are you kidding me? <laughs> he can't just say to the people, uh, now may the Lord strict. Oh, it says Lord in Hebrew. And move. What do you mean it says Lord in Hebrew? It doesn't say the Lord in does Hebrew. Does it say what Adonai? It, say what is it? it says Adonai, which is Lord. Look, that's not or what you liter- said. So Adonai, you can translate as actually Wait, more accurately, Nehemiah. my great Lord. Okay. Okay. So okay. So Nehemiah, are you telling me there's actually uh, some part here in the in the Torah where it, mm-hmm. it calls our fathers by 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 Lord, or are you saying there is an actual word? 
no, a Hebrew Lord, word. No, Adonai. Adonai appears there in the title, is what of, I've been... title of the creator of the universe, uh, and it means Lord, uh, or my great Lord, more literally. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it appears, uh, I forget the exact number, but it's over 300 times, uh, yes. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as opposed to the name Yehovah, Yudhe his actual name, which appears... Uh, 6,827 times. Mm-hmm. Now, why I had to stop Nehemiah Jono, and I know he's going to get mad at me after the radio and say, I was on a roll. Why did you stop me? <laughs> because he just had a landmine that he said, oh, that's a landmine. Don't worry about it. And he kept walking. <laughs> so here you're telling me, after all of this Yehovah stuff that you guys have been doing, yeah. I can't believe you and Jono. I mean, here I'm supposed to be reading from the NIV. I just say, Lord, I don't get into the whole name thing. You two are the name people. But then you say right here, <laughs> no, I'm telling you what you did. You're telling me right here, here's an example where he's referred to as, in English, mm-hmm. Lord. So yeah. does it have L, capital O, capital R, capital D oh. in the New King James? Okay, this in is the my New question. King James, I've got a capital L and then a lowercase O-R-D. Uh-oh. So then there it is. Huh? <laughs> so, so basically what that means is oh. whenever you have Lord in all caps, it, in Hebrew it actually has Yehovah. There it is. When you have Lord with a capital L but lowercase O-R-D, then that's legitimately Lord Adonai in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But here's what's there funny. So then that's what it says in verse 17. So this is why I wanted to stop because it says, now made the Lord, and it doesn't use capital O, capital O-R-D in the first verse for you, does it, Jono? Now may the Lord strength, does it actually use capitals or does it not? Uh, in in seventeen and no, it doesn't use capitals. It has lowercase. That's what I wanted to stop. And everyone, look at your Bible just for a second. More than likely, they've been true to the fact that when they came across this mm. word Adonai, they knew yes, it was referring to Yehovah, Ye- and so they didn't put capital L, little capital O, capital R, capital D, but rather they said, oh, if this is not the for- the name Yehovah, this is Adonai. And so Nehemiah just quickly rushed over that, dropped it on us, and kept running like a hit and run. But that was very good. Thank you for doing that. There it is. Verse 18. Right. Wait, you know, back to my point. Back so, uh, to and, <laughs> and now let the, let the might of Adonai be magnified as you spoke, saying, and then in verse 18 he quotes Exodus chapter 34, or he paraphrases Exodus 34, 6 to 7, yep. where Yehovah said this. And he says, Yehovah, who is uh, long-suffering, great of uh, righteousness, who bears iniquity and uh, uh, transgression, uh, and does not make uh, uh, innocent. Um, he and then uh, he um, literally it says he uh, remembers the iniquity of the fathers upon the sons in the third generation, the fourth generation, and that's really just an, a truncated version of what mm-hmm. we have in, like I said, Exodus uh, thirty four six through seven. Yep. But what the point here is that Jehovah is a forgiver. If you repent, he'll forgive you. Mm-hmm. That's the message here. And then he says in verse nineteen, forgive please the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your your righteousness. Um, and as you bore this people from Egypt until now, he's saying, okay, you told me these are your attributes. Stand up to what you said you are. Mm. This is what you said you are. Do it. Uh, do what you said you are and, and forgive this people. Amen. Verse Don't 20. Uh, verse now, 20. Now, Jonah, here's where you've got to give us the theology on this verse. This is, this is deep. This Go is, ahead, Jonah. This is, this is the one, and I love this one. Then Yehovah said, I have pardoned according to your word. What do you do with that? I mean, there's no sacrifice. There's no, there's no, wait, I wait, have. Wait. Yeah, I mean that's um, verse twenty makes okay. So so we could end the sermon right there and move on. And this is why that's this is why it catches me because it says he says I've forgiven them. Mm. Now we could I'm telling you guys right now we could do a an entire show on what does it mean for him to forgive them. And mm-hmm. yet the next verse says in the NIV, nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of uh, I'm sorry, as the glory of the Lord fills the earth, not one of them 
who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me these ten times. Mm-hmm. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised. In other words, he says this. Okay, okay, Moses, I'll forgive them, but they're not going into the land. Well, some people would read that verse and say, well, you didn't forgive them. If you, see, because you forgive and you forget. Look, if you, if you forgive and you forget, and it's no big deal, and everything's back to the same as if it mm. never happened. If you, if you take time on this verse, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, your mind can go into a, a, a warp. It's a, it's a powerful, well, but, but powerful. Keith, if we, it, if we go back to, uh, to verse 12, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I'll make you a, greater, a nation greater and mightier than they. But then in verse 20, he says, okay, all right, all right, all right. I've pardoned them according to your word, but they're not going into the land. Now, but he has, this is why he has mis- relented, mis- right? Mis- misunderstanding of what it means. So I want to ask Nehemiah, just if he would do for a second, would you give mm-hmm. us the word, verse 20, I have forgiven them. What does that, what does the word, just say what, say so what the, the word, word is. the word is salachti, mm-hmm. salachti from the word salach or slicha, and it means mm-hmm. to forgive. Mm-hmm. What, when, when, when you say slicha, what, what does that, mm-hmm. what, give, give, us, give us what, I mean, do a little linguistic, uh, um, <laughs> come on, work with us here, are you kidding me? <laughs> So what's the origin of the word salach? It's a really yeah. good question. It's a that's a good question that, that Okay, we'll and the reason and the reason wait for, we'll have to for the program to <laughs> <laughs> No, cuz okay. look, sometimes it's obvious what the literal meaning of a of a of an ancient Hebrew word. Look, cuz look, forgive is a, is an abstract concept. And yes. usually there's a a concrete concept behind the abstract. So what specifically is the concrete concept behind salach? Um, I don't know off the top of my head. That, that that's a really good question. Well, that's you know, sometimes can, it's obvious. In this case, it's definitely it not obvious. It's, so here's the point why that why I wanted you to say that was because he mm-hmm. says, "Okay, I've forgiven them." Now maybe they don't, they don't even understand what that means, mm-hmm. but he understands what it means. In other words, when he uses those words, he knows exactly what he's mm-hmm. going to do, and he's not contradicting himself by saying, "But as it pertains to going into the land, they ain't going." Mm-hmm. Now again, go forward to where we're at now. People that would argue the same, they'd say, "Well, if he forgave, why didn't he forget?" We've got to understand what his perspective is of forgiveness is. Before we start making the assumption that there is any contradiction of what he said mm-hmm. and what he did, Amen. That's Amen. why I say this is something that could could take some time. But anyway, we can move on. Now, before we get to verse twenty-four, which I really want to spend some time on, Nehemiah, have have we been keeping count? Has it been ten times, or is this an expression? Um, well, I would think it's an expression, but maybe there were actually ten times. I don't think it lists specifically ten times. Mm. Um, and remember, these aren't necessarily in chronological order. But I think even if we went through the whole Torah, I think we'd be hard-pressed to find ten times. So it mm-hmm. may just be an expression. Okay. But it's also possible that we don't know every single time they tested him. There it is. Meaning it's possible True. It's possible that we you know, will be given examples. Yep. You know, They tested him by the water. Well, how many water examples do we really need? Mm-hmm. <laughs> do we need to have the list of all ten? Sure. Presumably these were issues that repeated themselves. Sure. So. Mm-hmm. Verse 24, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully... I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. I love that verse. And that's key, because remember, he's not a physical descendant of Jacob, and so he's actually not supposed to get any inheritance mm-hmm. of the land. Mm-hmm. And Jehovah is saying, those other guys aren't coming in. Caleb's going to come in because he who is totally faithful to me, and he's even going to get a piece of the land. You know what? Can I, can I share a story? Keith, can I just, this is a little off topic, but that verse, I love that verse because it always reminds me of this thing that happened to me once, uh, not so long ago, maybe, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago. And uh, I was living in a little country town in Australia and there was some uh, uh, evangelical 
what would we say, uh, reformed type of uh, fundamentalists, Bible fundamentalists. They were, they were really sort of uh, very, very keen uh, to study their Bible, and uh, they decided to start a little Bible study, and they invited me, and I was really, I was kind of, I thought, this is wonderful, some guys that want to really study the Bible, they recognize that I'm really keen on my Bible as well, and they invited me. And it didn't take too long, you know, we met on a weekly basis, and we were you know, going through the, uh, this Bible study, and they, they kind of started, you could tell, they just started to get a little ticked off that I was referring back to the Old Testament. I kept going back to the Old Testament, and they didn't like that. They wanted to, when they said Bible study, they meant, you know, the back of the book. Okay. And uh-huh. I remember one time... Matthew to Maps. There Matthew it is. Matthew to Maps. <laughs> and I remember, I remember one time that, uh, that, that we, were, we were talking about success, Nehemiah. We were talking about success and, and how, how do we achieve success in God and, you know, what does it say? And that we were doing all this sort of stuff. And I said, well, you know what? It's, there's, there's a very specific verse about that. And it's in the book of Joshua. And if we go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, which I, I love these verses. And can I just read these out? Mm-hmm, it sure. says, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And do you know what happened at that point when I read that verse? One of the men jumped up from the table of this Bible study, I'm not kidding, jumped up in front of me, pointed his finger at me and stood over me, and venomously said, you have got a different spirit. (laughs) (laughs) And And you said, amen, praise God. Amen. Praise God. Another one chimed in and they, they, they both got up and, uh, and they left and it was pretty much all over from then on. And I thought, you know what? I think you're right. I think I do have a different spirit and praise you. Yes. yes. You know what? That, is, wow. that really is a, an amazing story because, um, you know, I don't I, – from what I can tell, and you guys can, you guys can check me on this, it doesn't seem that the majority uh, often are the ones that are, 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 are always right. <laughs> in other words, the, here you got the story of the of the twelve, and there are only two. Mm. The ten of the majority, and they say, "Hey, what's going on here?" And they say, and, and then it says here, he's got this his this uh, this whatever you want to call it, uh, the ruach acharet, the other spirit. I mean, it's like, the, and in fact, that that phrase is not not used anywhere else. But the idea that when you look at Caleb, there's something different about him. There's something. You know, he's not the majority. He's definitely along the minority, but he's but he's trusting in the one mm. who. So I think that's pretty cool that you. Uh, that you know you, what? And it just called out that way. It just Caleb. came. It just became apparent. Honestly, this just popped into my head right now. His son, the, the man who jumped up and pointed at me and said that his son's name was Caleb. He had named his son <laughs> Caleb. Doesn't that blow your mind? How about oh, that? That's amazing. That's awesome. And so this is uh, now the, the death sentence of the rebels is what we're, this is verse 26 and on. And Yehovah spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I've heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me and say to them, as I live, says Yehovah, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcass of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to the entire number of 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Yephuneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be uh, victims, I will bring in. This is exactly in what you were... In Hebrew, it's, 
the little ones who you said would be spoils is what it says mm-hmm. in Hebrew. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it, and of course, this is exactly what so happened. Only Caleb and Jesus were the ones who were Caleb and Jesus. Was... That's exactly what it says. <laughs> what... If you look in the uh, if you look in the Septuagint, guess yep. what word they use for uh, Joshua, Joshua in the Greek Septuagint? Well, I guess it must have been Jesus. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. There it is. Okay, now, now we got now we got to look it up. Hold on. Caleb and Jesus went into the land. He doesn't. He doesn't trust me on this one. No, I, I don't believe him. I want to see that he doesn't believe me. That if you could, Jesus, let's I think see it, it in the Septuagint. Yeah, um, blah, 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 blah. It says, uh, uh-huh. oh, it has Jesus. There it is. Oh, wait a there minute. It is. I thought this was right. Hey, so here's the point. So, Jesus, so, the son of noon. Jesus, so to now, now, eh. Yeah, so so Jesus made it um, into the promised land along with Caleb, yep. and and you know what? If I were to, if I were to do that, if I were to say that every time people would get a little bit uncomfortable. Again, not a commercial, but the reason that I added this information is because what we what we've done, and this happens in so many different topics, mm-hmm. when we don't understand any of the linguistic information, information, any of the historical, cultural, whatever we want to call those things that help us get under what's going on, we can sort of create this disconnect with the Tanakh. And, and, and by understanding some of the information that's under the linguistic issues, the, you know, the culture, the, the language, the history, and the context, mm. it allows us to get a chance to get under it. And like Nehemiah said in the beginning of this program, this is what I loved about what he said. See, if, if you and I, Jono, from the traditions we come from, say this, we're only willing to go so far. Mm. <laughs> okay? Uh, but he opens your eyes, Jono, and all of a sudden you realize that Methodism really is better than your denomination. <laughs> And your eyes are open to this, and you and you see it because he uncovers your eyes. Or if Nehemiah, you know, finally realizes that you know what Keith really should take more time in this program than me, and he sees this, his eyes are open. But the, the point is, there are some is, things I'm not open to, and <laughs> no. But the idea but I mean, is, is, it, yeah. is that what is it? What does it look like for us to really lean against mm-hmm. the information, even mm-hmm. when it's not comfortable? That's yeah, what's so powerful. You know what? I'm so, glad you said that. You know, I still get in trouble. I still get in trouble from people who write in sometimes, believe it or not, and they say they kind of convey to me, you know, you're spending too much time in the Old Testament. Yeah. You know? Well, I, it's a Torah portion. Mm. Um, basis of it is in the quote-unquote Old Testament. That's the whole basis of it. It's just every <laughs> once in a while when Nehemiah gets the Holy Ghost that we move into the New Testament. That's right. That's, that's the only time. <laughs> that we- so what you're really saying, Keith, if I'm understanding, I want, I want to back up here because you threw the Jesus thing at us. I want to understand what we're talking about. You're saying, Keith, that if we look in the Greek, in the Septuagint, that's the ancient Greek translation of the Tanakh into Greek, that there's no way to tell the difference between where it says Joshua and Jesus, that it's the same word in Greek. Is that what you're really saying? Uh, absolutely it is. That's the same word, and that's why in the so you're, not, you're not saying Jesus of Nazareth is no, in no, no. Numbers 4. No, 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 no. What I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying Jesus is that the, the, name, the name Jesus, which is what they, they translated from Yeshua, which uh, came from... Yeah, hmm. yeah. So, so that's what they used in the Greek, and that's why in the New Testament there are two verses you can look at. Um, and I don't have them right off the top of my head. Hebrews and in um, Hebrews and in uh, oh, shoot, right off the top of my head, don't have them. But two times where in the Old King James it actually is referring to Joshua, but it says Jesus. So, for example, in the New Testament, in the Greek, it's referring to Joshua, son of Nun. But in the in the in the uh, Old King James, they just couldn't bring themselves to do it. So they put the name Jesus because they didn't want people to make the connect. Uh, they, they they didn't mind the people making the connection. in In the NIV and most translations now, they will even though the Greek says Jesus, Jesus, mm-hmm. it says Joshua in English. So there are two of those examples. I'm sorry, folks, don't have it on top of my head. Uh, but but both of those, I think one is Hebrew six. Uh, I'm not going to guess. Uh, but but the point is, in the Greek Old Testament, Joshua's name is Jesus. If, 
best way I can say it. There it is. Okay. Uh, I believe that's in Acts chapter 7, verse 45, and Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, where in those yeah, places those the... it refers to Jesus, but it's actually Joshua that they're talking about. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And those, that's an example of the connection with the, with the Greek and the New Testament and the Greek and the Old Testament. Every time in the Old Testament, it would be the word Jesus, uh, you know, yep. where they'd say Jesus. And then those two times, folks got a little nervous. And the finer, so. the finer details of that study, his hallowed name revealed again by Keith Johnson. Got to get it. <laughs> All right. Now, look, uh, verse 39, Moses uh, told these words to, to the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly, and they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, here we are, and uh, we will go up to the place which Jehovah has promised, for we have sinned. And Moses says, now, why do you transgress the command of Jehovah? For this will not succeed. You don't go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies, for Jehovah is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall surely fall by the sword, because you have turned away from Jehovah. Jehovah will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountain. Nevertheless, uh, neither the Ark of the, of the Covenant of Jehovah nor Moses departed from the camp. And the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. So here's where you can go back to that verse. So if you go back to this idea of top-down versus bottom-up, Mm. Bottom-up thinking is, okay, look, it's going to be us. We're going to do this thing. Uh, we can't do this thing, whatever. It's all about us. Top-down, it's all about Yehovah. They should have gotten a hint when two things, two witnesses didn't go with them. Moses stayed in the camp, and the ark, which is called by the name, didn't mm. go. At that point, I ain't leaving. Yeah, that's okay? right. That's right. Come on, you guys, let's go fight. No, I'm going to wait. <laughs> so, and then we go back to numbers where we talked about that, you know, the ark would be raised up and he'd said, listen, you know, may you go and scatter the enemies. And that didn't happen. Moses didn't give that blessing. That wasn't what was proclaimed. And the people decided to go anyway. So I would always argue this. If, if the cloud doesn't move, if he doesn't move, if you're not led to do it, man, you definitely don't want to battle no giants unless you're called. Mm, amen. Amen. All right, now, fellas, now come here. I, we're in chapter 15. I'm, I feel tempted oh, 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 just to... We, we, we got to stop before we get to chapter 15. Oh, okay, yep. And, and, and this is one of the chapters, the, chapter 14. We really can't read this without looking at the parallel. And the parallel passage, and I don't want to take too much time because we'll get to that in the Torah portion, mm -hmm. but we've got to quickly glance over it in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 22 and all the way through 46. And, and don't worry, we won't read 24 verses. But, um, but I do encourage people to, after you read 13 and 14, go mm -hmm. over and read Deuteronomy 1, 22 to, to 46, because it, there Moses is retelling the story. And one of the things to look out for is the differences. Now, and I think what I talk about is some people are getting nervous and they'll say, wait a minute, differences, that, that sounds to us like contradictions. And, you know, in, in the way that I was taught to study scripture is that actually you're supposed to look for the contradictions, don't hide from them, because mm -hmm. what appears to you to be a contradiction might actually be something that gives you insight that you didn't have before. Amen. Um, you know, because basically we have this being retold uh, years later, you know, 39 years or something like that later, Moses is retelling the story and we're getting details we didn't have the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's really important to, whenever you have two different accounts in scripture, read both of them and then, you know, you've got the thesis and the antithesis and put them together as a synthesis. You know, you, mm -hmm. you got the, you know, the two stories and put them together and then you get the full picture. Um, you get like the 3d color, full color image. Um, and, uh, and, and I'd say, and I'm not going to read the whole section, but there's really two major points that pop out in, uh, or three points for me that pop out in uh, Deuteronomy that I just want to briefly mention when we compare it with Numbers 13 to 14. One of them is that in Deuteronomy, or excuse me, in Numbers, it's very clear that, that it seems like 
God is the one who tells them to go send the spies. Mm-hmm. But then you read Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 22. It says, and you approached me, and all of you approached me, and you said, let us send men before us, and they will spy out for us the land. <laughs> and they will return for us the matter of the way that we should go up in it, and the cities that we will go to them. And the matter was good in my eyes. And I took from you 12 men, uh, one man per tribe, etc., etc. So here, it's the people's idea and Moses confirms this. Mm. Now, that's not, now that's, at first glance, maybe sounds like a contradiction, but it really isn't because Yehovah then turned their request into a commandment, meaning what they had initiated, Yehovah then says, okay, go do it. So, so, but you don't get that unless you read both of the stories together. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you read one of them, it sounds like, oh, that was just Yehovah's idea, and you read the other one, and it's just like, oh, well, that was, that was the people's idea, and Yehovah kind of confirmed it. Um, you really need to get the full picture here, and um, and if you read on, uh, a second thing which is which is a significant uh, point that we don't know about from the Book of Numbers is in verse thirty-seven, where uh, of Deuteronomy chapter one, and there it says, and also uh, Yehovah was angry at me at that time, or excuse me, Yehovah was angry at me because of you, saying you also will not go in there, and that's implied in Numbers. You know, when, he, when Moses hears this in the book of Numbers, only Joshua and Caleb, no other people are going to go. And Moses has got to think, well, I mean, she, he means me too, right? <laughs> but no, Jehovah also meant Moses. Moses also wasn't going to go in. Um, so that's a significant point as well. That, that's implied in Numbers, but it's stated explicitly in Deuteronomy. And the, and the third point, which um, is really, a, I think, a beautiful example of when you get the two witnesses, which is that it talks about the children um, – or excuse me, talks about, yeah, the children who um, are below the age of 20 over in Numbers, that those are the ones who will end up going into the land after 40 years. Well, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39, it says, and your, uh, and your children who you said would be for spoils, um, and your sons who did not know that uh, uh, today good and evil, they will come there, and to them I will give, and they will inherit it. So here it's got this definition these people who are under the age of 20 are here being defined as the sons or the children who did, uh, who did not know good and evil. And so basically what that means is, is they're not of the age where they can make the decision to know good and evil. And that's why they're exempt from, uh, from dying out in the wilderness. They're not being held legally responsible for their actions. Now, the reason this is important to me is I was told that that age is the age of 13. For bo- uh, 13 for boys and 12 for girls. But that is when you become a bar mitzvah or for a girl a bat mitzvah. That is you become legally responsible or, or uh, mm-hmm. responsible for, before the creator for your actions. And here it's telling us that it's the, uh, you know, if you read the two passages together, that it's the age of 20. Because all the children under the age of 20, they were exempt and they were the ones who did not know today good and evil mm. or back then. Mm-hmm. So I want to give uh, Nehemiah some some really uh, really well deserved credit on something that that's uh, parallel to what he just talked about, <clears throat> Jono. It really, um, and again, I, I I still say I'm I'm the I'm the most honored Methodist in the land to have been around this guy for so long. One of the things that he he brought to my attention, which really changed uh, my view on a number of things in Scripture. And again, I'm always going to go back to this one topic. There's three things that I three things I focused on, and I'm going to focus on these until my eyes are open to any other topic. And there are three, three T's, time, Torah, tetragrammaton. These three T's for me have changed my life. Well, one of the things that Nehemiah uh, did when we were doing a Torah study together was this idea of parallel passages. So the one that I, I always remember that changed me was the whole Ten Commandments issue. Because in Exodus, 
you've got the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. And in Deuteronomy, we're going to talk about this later, and I'm going to put it off until then, uh, you have the Ten Commandments retold, and it's not word for word the way that we understood it in Exodus. But by, by Moses doing what he does, it just completely opens the door to some things that, um, that jump off the page. So I have to say to him, again, personally on, on, uh, on this show, how much I appreciate you uh, having your eyes open and realizing that, yes, in fact, you were going to be my friend 10 years ago, and you were going to teach me the, 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 uh, to read my, uh, my Torah, and, and I'm just glad that you got it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the scales fell from my eyes. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate that. Okay, John, we can move on. <laughs> Chapter 15. Now, look, for the sake of time, I, I feel like I want to sort of jump ahead. Is there anything that you want to – and, Jaime, do you want to point anything out before we get to verse 15? Well, I mean, come on. We <laughs> I'd like we'll jump to ahead to verse 15. Let's do it. I'd like to go verse eight. verse 8. When you prepare a young bull as a burnt offering or sacrifice for a special vow or a fellowship offering to the Lord, bring with the bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a half a hen of oil. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got to stop and i got to talk about this for a minute. We can't go past this. This is the most important verse in the entire Torah. <laughs> Wait, what's the Come secret? There's, I know there's a secret here. What's the secret meaning of the three-tenths of the ephah? <laughs> That's what I, there's got to be a Come secret. Come on, Keith. If you look at it in the Hebrew and you, 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 you look at the, the paleo letters and then you – Come on. <laughs> Jono. <laughs> Jono. <laughs> Verse 15. <laughs> One ordinance shall be for you uh, of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you an, ordin an ordinance forever throughout your generations, as you are, so shall the stranger be before Yehovah. One law and one custom shall be yes. for you and the stranger who dwells with you, obviously echoing Exodus chapter 12, verse 49. And, uh, and Yehovah spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land, which I bring to you, then, well, uh, then it will be when you eat of the bread of the land that you shall offer up a Hebrew offering, to Yehovah, you shall offer up the cake of your first uh, of the first of your ground meal as a heave offering, a heave offering of the threshing floor. So you shall offer up on the first of your ground meal. You shall give to Yehovah a heave offering throughout your generations. What does that mean? What, what that's talking about is that uh, he's commanding them that when you make grain, you know, or excuse me, when you make bread. I mean, that was the normal thing. People would make bread daily just in order to eat. Mm -hmm. And uh, from this bread, you've got to bring a first fruits offering. You've mm -hmm. got to take off a piece of that bread, off that dough, and give it to the Kohen, give it to the priest, give it to Yehovah as a, as a heave offering. And, and that's significant because then uh, what attaches to that is all the rules of, um, of ritual purity. If you're going to be giving something and, and dedicating it as an offering, mm -hmm. you have to be ritually pure when you're making that bread. Now, some people take this passage and say, yeah, every single time you make a new batch of bread, you've got to give that to Yehovah, or give a piece of it. Um, and, then, and then that creates a whole issue where, well, then I've always got to be ritually uh, clean, which, you know, isn't really commanded. And, and I think what this is saying is that, you know, every time you have a new harvest that, and you begin to make bread, and that's why, why it talks about the first fruits here, mm. the first, the rishit, that you're to, um, that then out of that, you know, before you eat from that new harvest, give something to the priest. He's got to get a, a piece of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's how I understand it. Good enough. And if you right. sin, if... Keith, if you, if you sin unintentionally and you do not observe these commandments, which Yehovah has spoken to Moses, or that Yehovah has commanded you by the hand of Moses from the day Yehovah gave the commandment and onward throughout your generations, and it, then it will be, if it is unintentionally committed, without the knowledge of the congregation, 
that the whole congregation shall offer one bull as a burnt offering, a sweet aroma to Yehovah, with its grain offering and its drink offering according to the ordinances, and one kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the whole congregation of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them, for it was unintentional. They shall bring an offering, an offering made by fire to Yehovah, and the sin offering before Yehovah for their unintended sin. It shall be forgiven the whole congregation, the children of Israel, and the stranger who dwells among them, because all the people did it unintentionally. Wow. How about that? Can we stop here for a minute and, and, and talk about this phrase in verse 24? Mm. Um, and this goes back to what Keith was talking about. You know, they were grasshoppers in their own eyes. And here what it literally says, it shall come to pass if it was um, uh, uh, done uh, as unintentionally from the eye. Literally, it says from the eyes of the congregation. In other words, it's hidden mm-hmm. from the eyes of the congregation, the intent. They didn't realize that what they were doing was wrong, or they didn't realize they were doing it. And, and, and isn't that exactly what we've been talking about in this prayer? Uncover my eyes that I may see the hidden wonderful things of your Torah. Amen. And, and to, to me, this is so powerful that Yehovah is telling us, if your eyes aren't uncovered, then I'm not going to blame you for it. There's mm-hmm. this mechanism for you. As soon as you find out, you can repent and you can, and you can, get, you can get forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and that's contrasted then with the next section, which we'll read about in a minute, um, where, you know, where there isn't this um, unintentional situation. Um, but, uh, but I think that's so beautiful that Yehovah is that merciful. He has mm. that much mercy that if someone is blinded to some truth, that he's not going to blame the person, you know, for doing, for, for violating that mm-hmm. commandment and violating his will. Um, if you know, and until they until they have the opportunity, until they know, um, and, and here it's talking about like, look, I mean, this is the entire congregation; they're blind to something. And you ask mm-hmm. yourself, how could that be? God revealed these things to Moses, and the reality is, it happens mm-hmm. that people forget or people don't understand. They they have a you know they have a misunderstanding or a lack of knowledge, and and in that situation, Jehovah will forgive you. Hallelujah! I want to say Amen. something, uh, Jono, and this this is this is clearly a commercial. So everyone just know I'm about to give you a commercial, <laughs> and the reason I want to give you a commercial on this section is because this is so important. So so here you have this issue of now if you and if I open my Hebrew Bible versus my NIV, my NIV until I read a little bit later, I'm not sure who you is. But if I open my Hebrew Bible, I find out that the you is actually plural, you, y'all. Mm. Now, context knows that we're talking about y'all. But the reason I want to give a commercial is this, this very, very powerful thing in the New Testament that Yeshua did when he taught this prayer, the, a prayer to our Father. You know, when he taught the prayer, he could have said, now when you pray this prayer, it's just for you, singular. But rather, he taught it from the plural. The commercial is this. What, we're, what we've been able to do, Jonah, that's been so exciting to me, is that you got the Jew and the Gentile together, the y'all mm-hmm. together, teaching a prayer that was y'all focused. Mm-hmm. And the y'all focused is this idea of community. So when I read this passage, I think immediately about the y'all. Again, when I'm reading my English Bible, I got to eventually find out if it's you, singular, you, plural. And sometimes context never lets me know unless I actually look in and see what the words actually say. And that's that's what I wanted to stop and say here, that the prayer itself is so powerful from those first words, Avinu, our Father, Amen. which includes Australia. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. The hour includes Australia. <laughs> Even Tasmania. <laughs> hey, <All right>. Tasmania, okay. <laughs> but 
Here's the but. Here it comes. There's always a but. There's a but. Verse 30. But the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is a native-born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on Yehovah. He shall be cut off from among the people because he has despised the word of Yehovah, and he has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. Serious stuff. Can now, you read your position of 30 and 31? Because it's not quite what it said in my Hebrew. Okay. Yeah, so just just so we didn't miss, we didn't miss this 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 twenty seven. Um, you know that basically, if just one person sins unintentionally, he must bring a year old female goat mm-hmm. for a sin off. So in other words, here's the y'all up to twenty six. Mm-hmm. Twenty seven. Hey, if it's just you, there's a way to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Then when we get to twenty nine, one the same law applies to everyone who sins unintentionally, yeah. whether he's a native born Israel. And then verse thirty says, but anyone who sins defiantly. Now that's what my Defi- that's what my thing is. Yes. So in my Hebrew, <laughs> it says in the real Hebrew, it says biyad rama, which means with an uplifted hand. And oh, think wow. about that image. It's you know the hand is up. There's a fist up, saying Yehovah, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do this anyway. You know this isn't just you know, uh oh, I slipped up. Mm. You know I made a mistake. Because mm. because you make a mistake, then there's the opportunity for you to bring a sacrifice. It's no you know it's not. It's not, you know, it's not a really big deal. Mm. Just, you know, bring a sacrifice. But here, you've got the uplifted hand, and you're, you know, you're waving it in the Creator's face and saying, "I'm going to do this." And then it says, "At um, Yehovah Humagadef, He blasphemes the name of Yehovah. He blasphemes Yehovah." Man, so that's serious, serious so, stuff. So, la- ladies and gentlemen, serious, the, 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 the clear, the clear connection for me when I read that, but if I read it in the Hebrew verses in the English, is that what, what, what did it mean to 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 swear in His name, to raise the hand? And this is what he, this is the image we find throughout the Tanakh, where Yehovah raises his hand. He says, "I swear by myself." Mm. The idea that you know, okay, I've raised my hand. I swear by myself. Where do we get this idea when we go into the courts? Raise your right hand. Put your hand on the Bible. Now swear. So imagine this person who's saying, "Look, I," you know, they raise their hand. They defiantly swear in you know in his name that this is what I'm going to do, and basically blasphemes mm. him, which is to sort of the idea of piercing to. To to I mean this is the person who who's clearly conscious that's saying this everything I've heard everything I know everything I've learned it don't matter Yahovah I stand before you I raise my hand in your face and tell you this is what I'm going to do now that person becomes dangerous and why does that person become dangerous why does that per- why would he say cut that person off because they well not only do they uh, endanger themselves they endanger the children of Israel right I mean I mean we have uh, we have an example of that of uh, Achan. Don't we yeah. in in the book of Joshua? Well, I mean that's and that's a little different because you're you're talking about something that someone did privately that affected everyone publicly. Mm. That, we're talking about someone who says, "Here's this defiant, raise my hand in the face of Yehovah, cursing, you know, publicly curse and say this is you know stand against him." And this person is in the community. I mean, so from, and, and when I, I read that, so, yeah, go ahead, please go, go ahead, on, Keith. No, I mean, no. what, the, what I think that I think the difference here is is. You know, like, look, everybody sins, and we make mistakes. Um, but this person in verses 30 to 31, he's making sin into his lifestyle. This mm-hmm. isn't just a slip up there, you know. Um, uh, you know, and I think there was a wise rabbi who once said, you know, that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's a mistake. You make mistakes. And you can repent for that. But this is a person who's turning sin into his lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's not just a one-time sin. And for this person, there's no sacrifice that can atone for you. There's, mm-hmm. you know, all the blood in the world can't wash away that sin. No, mm-hmm. you know, all the animals sacrificed on the altar will not bring forgiveness for this person. He's going to be cut off. 
And really, the only thing he can do is is to repent and throw himself at the mercy of the, the mercy Creator. Of yeah, that's right. And that that same Rabbi Jonah that uh, Nehemiah is referring to uh, also spoke about a little uh, uh, yeast. You know, in mm. other words, you you put a little bit you put a little little, little bit in there, and and what happens? He was referring to Devin's sin. This idea, yeah. exactly that it, you put a little bit of that in there, and and. Uh, the sin begins to spread. So in this situation, we found this throughout the Torah. Hey, listen, if we find someone who's got this particular blot, this thing that's a communicable disease, mm. we got to cut it off. Mm. That can't be in the, I mean, and th- this, this is sort of an image that's like, okay, and in the same way, if we find someone who's openly walking around with leprosy of sin in their heart and mind and lifestyle, we got to cut it off. Amen. If we don't, it affects It'll the spread. whole and then he brings us an example. I love this. And, he brings and there it, it is. And here's the example. Verse 32. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks uh, brought him to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation. And they put him under guard because Nehemiah had not been explained what should be done to him. We explained that in the last uh, Torah portion. Then Yehovah said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as Jehovah commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died. <laughs> so this okay. is a person who evidently has done this sin, not by accident. He, it's not that he didn't know it was a sin. He knew this was a sin, and he's like, Sabbath, pff, forget that. I'm going to, you know... I, I want to work today. I'm I need to go out and, and, and I'm, wood, I'm and I'm busy I'm, I'm doing do my work all the today. Stuff that I have to do during the week, but today I need wood, and I was busy. And I know that I'm not supposed to get wood because I need wood for my business or whatever it is, or cooking or whatever it is I'm doing, my, the, the, the the business that I go about. And I need wood, and this is the only day that I can. I don't care what it says. I don't care. You know, no one cares because I'm busy. I'm going to go out and get wood. Damn it! I'm doing it now. Oh my! <laughs> That's what he did. Gosh darn it! Gosh darn it! Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so he's ra- he's lifted up that fist against Jehovah and saying, I'm going to do this today. No one's going to stop me. And he goes out and he does it not just, he does it in front of everybody so they can all see hmm. the Sabbath doesn't count. And, and here's what I don't like. This is what in I don't, front of everybody. Here's what I don't like about the way the studies, Bible studies are usually done. And, and, and you know, and reading and discussing and making theological statements, etc. So somebody will pick this passage out. They will take this passage and explain why today, you know, and they'll make a connection to a connection to a connection to a connection. But again, if we do what we're trying to do here where we read context, this, like Nehemiah just said, we read this section about the person who raises their hand up and defiantly does this. Mm. And then there's this picture here. So be be the author. Be the one who's trying to communicate a message. So what do you do? I always like to do this. I always like to do this. Explain it. Illustrate it. And applicate it. <laughs> so he explains it. Here's the deal. He illustrates it. Here's an example. And he apl- gives the application. Mm-hmm. Here's what happens. But, you know, if you pull it out and say, well, let's get into the exact word of which particular command he broke. He broke gathering the wood, and it was a certain amount of wood done within a certain particular place, blah, blah, blah. And then they go up with an entire theology on it, and then that's where we get problems. Mm. The big picture is real clear. Don't defy Yehovah. If you defy Yehovah, here's what's going to happen, and here's the application. Amen. Amen. <laughs> now, Keith, in your tradition, yes, did you have, particularly among the younger people, was there uh, that fad where they were all wearing multicolored rubber bands around their wrists with the letters WWJD? Uh, we didn't have multicolored bands. I, I was, I'm kind of in the in-between group. I was in a, a youth pastorate mm-hmm. when that started happening. So uh, what would Jesus do? Yeah. What would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of a nebulous question because, I mean, 
Thanks for thinking I'm that young, though. Yeah, where really did that come from? Well, <laughs> no, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, now, now, there's a reason why I'm bringing that up, Keith, and it, it's because the, the question is a kind of a nebulous one. It, it, it asks the question for the individual to decide for themselves, what do I think he would do if I wanted to be like him? But here... In uh, verse 37, this is, what, this is what I've got. Again, Yehovah spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make, t- I've got tassels, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generation and to put a blue thread on the tassels of the corners and you shall have a tassel that you may look upon it to remember all the commandments that Yehovah, uh, of Yehovah and do them. So it's not some nebulous, what do I think Moses would do? What do I think, you know, Joshua would? It's, it's, this is what I've said to do. Remember the things that I've told you to do. I put it down in writing. It's black and white. It cannot be clearer. Remember it. And I've given you something to remember them by. Black and white and blue. There it is, black, yeah. white, and blue. And <laughs> so can I, can I, can I, can I uh, testify about this? Um, this, was, this was one of these, these passages that was a game changer for me. Uh, because when I read this, I thought again, big picture. So here's the, you know, here's the, here's the explanation, the illustration, the application. And, and so this idea of the tzitzit, that they would be something that you would be able to look at, that you'd be able to see it Mm -hmm. and that, that you would be reminded. Mm -hmm. So for example, I'm looking right now, uh, I've got a little, little prayer shawl over there with tzitzit. Mm -hmm. And when I look at that and I see that, or in the morning for me, this is just what I happen to do in the morning, I might get up. I do get up, <laughs> and and um and and the idea for me when I wake up in the morning is I would take that my my little my little uh, tallit with the tzitzit, and I would put that on and I'd look at that look at that you know that thread that has that blue thread in there, and I would think about this portion, and I'd think about what the purpose was. Now there's been all sorts of arguments, all sorts of issues. How long are the tzitzit? Where do I put the tzitzit? Do I put what the t- color of the blue? What, what shade of the blue? blue? Yeah, is, it? is it what shade of the? We've got the original blue tzitzit, the original one of the for thirty nine ninety five, and and the list and the list goes on and on. Do you have the little knots that show that it's six hundred and thirteen? <laughs> you know, okay, none of that is in here. <laughs> okay, so here's an example of just getting it down to the basics. For mm. me, the basics is this: Be, the basics, the basics are these. Here's what you're to look at on the four corners of a garment, and it will be reminded mm. of what it means to, to be my people. Mm-hmm. So you don't forget. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's just one application for me. In the morning, that's just something that I do. And it's funny because some, some people say, oh, you know, you're just doing it by rote. And you're, you're putting on that, and you're saying, okay, you're saying those words, it doesn't mean anything. For me, it means something mm-hmm. only because of the idea of him commanding it. What does it mean for me to apply it? What's the illustration of it? There it is. And then throughout the day, I, you know, I'm reminded. So and there it is. So that's, it's kind that's, of a cool thing. You know? I'm glad you shared that, Keith. That's that's a that's a, a different way of uh, applying those verses. Can I ask you, Nehemiah, how you how you see these verses? Well, I mean, here's another example where we've got two parallel passages, and you know, again, I don't think you can take one one of the passages by itself. Uh, just mm-hmm. like the thing with the spies, you know, you would have you would not have really understood the story of the spies, uh, you know, about who initiated the spies and what the consequences were without reading both passages, both Numbers and Deuteronomy. And, mm. and that's exactly what we have here. Numbers 15, verses 37 to 41, what we just read, has a parallel over in Deuteronomy. Um, and specifically, it is Deuteronomy. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 15. And there it says, um, it says, Gidilim uh, which you could translate roughly as cords you will make for yourself upon the four corners of your the covering which you or the garment which you cover yourself with, mm. 
And um, and so we've got two issues here. One is it's the garment we're covering ourselves with, and number two, it's the four corners. And what many Jews have understood from this is that this commandment, certainly the way it's traditionally been understood, is that this commandment was specific to a four-corner garment. And if you uh, if you look in in um, ancient drawings of the of the ancient Israelites of actually um, uh, reliefs, for example, that you find in in Assyria. Uh, which depict the ancient Israelites, you see that they would wrap themselves essentially with one garment, which was a long rectangular piece of cloth, and um, and, and that's what, and it talks about in a number of passages in Scripture where if, you know if somebody is a debtor that you can't take his garment away because mm-hmm. what will he sleep with? I mean, mm-hmm. people literally had one piece of garment, one piece of cloth, rectangular piece that they would cover themselves with, and 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 so uh, the challenge we're faced with today is that well, people don't dress that way with the rectangular piece of cloth, oh. and that's where the the prayer shawl comes in. That's why what tradition has stepped in and done is said, okay, well, we don't dress the way we used to, but let's not let this commandment fall into oblivion. We want to continue to put it on the four corners of the garment that we cover ourselves with, mm. and mm-hmm. so people still will do what Keith just described: is they'll take the four cornered garment that that they don't wear all day, but they'll put it on usually during prayer. And the idea is that you'll give yourself a chance to um, to meditate upon the, the creator and his commandments and to be reminded through the blue thread. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I do. Um, I've got uh, a prayer shawl, a, a talit, and I put on, have it with the, you know, the, the tzitzit on the talit. And when I put it on and pray, and I usually will say the Shema and, you know, and then combine that with my, you know, complaints and requests and, and mm. praises. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Mostly requests and complaints, um, <laughs> if, if we're going to be honest here. But, uh, you know, so look, there are other people who say, no, the shape of the garment isn't important. And what's important is that you're wearing them all the time. And, and I don't have any complaint against those people. Mm-hmm. Um, if they want to carry out the commandment that way, I think that's total. I think that's wonderful, in mm-hmm. fact. Um, they could put it on their belt loops. They could, you know, whatever they want to do. I have no problem with that. Mm. Where I have a problem is where, when we get involved with the tzitzit police. Now, do you know about oh. the tzitzit police over there I in have, Australia? I have encountered the tzitzit police online, but not in Australia. Okay. So I've encountered the tzitzit police all over the world, and uh, the tzitzit police believe that it's their job. And we actually have an expression like that in Hebrew. An expression, the, the expression is to meddle in someone else's business. The, the, the idiom is to check someone's tzitzit. That's what they actually say in modern Hebrew, that somebody is, he's checking my tzitzit. <laughs> um, and, and actually, it's, it's even more specific than that. He's um, uh, checking the, the fine, minute details of the tzitzit. That, that's the Hebrew idiom of getting involved in someone else's business. Mm. And, and I don't like the tzitzit police because really what it does is, is it, it, I think that's contrary really to the spirit of this commandment because you know, the commandment here is between me and my creator. He's commanded me to do this, and if I'm doing it, because you're going to be checking my tzitzit, that I'm not doing it for my creator. I'm doing it for you. Mm-hmm. And and what I found is there becomes a competition of who has the most, um, and not just, you know, I, I find this with Jews and, and certain non-Jews also who are trying to keep the Torah. You'll see that, you know, they, they want to have the most visible tzitzit and the longest tzitzit, and they want to make sure everybody sees their tzitzit. They'll make sure everyone sees the tzitzit. And, you know, to me, that, that, that really isn't what this – I don't think that – I'm not so sure that person's fulfilling this commandment because the commandment isn't about somebody else seeing your tzitzit. It's about you seeing the tzitzit. And, and what is the best way for us to do that today? That's the question I ask myself. And I know for me, the best way to do that is when I'm focusing on my creator and I've set aside a few minutes for me to pray. And, um, and, and for me, that's the time to do it. And so I want to urge people to, you know, search this for yourselves and, and mm. read the two passages and, and look at them together and decide how you want to uh, understand and fulfill this commandment. 
but leave your leave your fellow's tzitzit alone. You know, you don't have a commandment. Uh, Thou shalt surely check the tzitzit of thy neighbor. There is no such commandment like that. I know, I know a rabbi, Jono. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was pretty wise, and he said, you know, that people will go in and they'll they'll have their tassels or their long tzitzit, and this mm-hmm. is you know their prayers are long, and and again, this the whole idea of public versus private. Um, I do believe that our lives are to display publicly uh, our private um, commitment to the creator of the universe. The question is, is when the external becomes the motivation and the internal is left completely out. So mm. that's why I love this idea of being able to, to have this most precious thing uh, called prayer and then to have something that reminds me physically mm. that I've been made with senses, you know, eyes and ears. And I'm able to hear and see. And there's so many powerful things in the Torah about this idea, you know, um, hearing and seeing and and, and being able to um, grasp his his wonderful and beautiful commands mm-hmm. um, in our lives and to to find ways to apply it, and that's yeah. where that's where I think it's an internal thing first, and external becomes second. So. Amen. I, I'm I'm a I have them on my belt loops, uh, just the blue and white, and uh, I tell you what, my goats they love them. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> So, so let me ask you a question, Jonah, and I, I don't mean to mock it, but I am curious. Yeah. So you're wearing them on your belt loops, mm. and I don't want to be crude, but when you go to um, the facilities, well, what happens to those TT? Right. So uh, I, <laughs> I have pockets. No, you're, you're, you're not. You're, you're not asking this question. <laughs> no, I mean this. This is the reason that, that I think that. No, that no I'm serious. I'd be very, very um, hesitant to do that. Is that they'll be like, well, wait a minute, the seat seat is going to be dragging in the in you know in in the filth. Mm. Um, but okay, so you stick them in your pockets. There yeah. it is. That's the solution. There's the solution. Pockets. There it is. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> TMI. <laughs> okay. All right. Here it is. The last few verses. And you shall have the tassels that you may look upon them and remember the commandments of Yehovah to do them, that you may not follow the harlotry which, uh, to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am Yehovah, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Yehovah, your God. Amen. And that's okay. where one of my favorite verses in the Torah. I'm telling you, I say it every time on the show. When we see that, boy, that's supposed to make us remember what. So why am I doing this again? Mm-hmm. I am Yehovah. I'm the one who brought you out. Why am I doing this again? I am Yehovah. I'm the one. Who, what is it that I'm supposed to do again? I am Yehovah who brought you out. So Amen. we can say that today. You know that that that. So what? Why are we? Why are we doing this Torah portions? Why are we reading the Word of God? Why are we trying to apply it, understand it, illustrate it, applicate it? I am Yehovah. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. So. Amen. That's our motivation. He's the one who is, was, and shall be, and we're in relationship. Amen. Thank you, Keith Johnson and Nehemiah Gordon. You've been listening to Truth To You, where you can purchase their books and DVDs are available at the website. Also, freely download this and other Torah Pearls programs. And if these programs have been a blessing to you, you can show your support by donating at truthtoyou.org. That's truth number two, letter U.org. Next week, we are in Korah. Right? Numbers 16 verse 1 to 18.32. And until then, dear listeners, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's word. Shalom.